Well, here we are again. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, I can't hear my, my ears are a little blocked. So, oh, there I am. Okay. Now, does everybody have one of these? You do? You don't. Good, good. Uh, this is important in that um, uh, the psalm I'll be dealing with, or at least the first seven verses, you have the whole thing printed in your, uh, your worship folder. Uh, there's an important way in which these things kind of hold together, and you'll see there's an A, and then another A, and those are meant to go together. And then there's a B, and another B, and they're meant to go together. And uh, then a C, and another C, and they're meant to go together. And then there's an X marks the spot, you know? It's like a great big treasure hunt. And that's kind of the, you know, it's kind of like an arrow pointing straight into that. And that's a very important verse. And I'm going to focus on that this morning um, as we draw your hearts towards understanding that the world around you is full of concern. All sorts of things you could worry about. But we're going to focus on how you deal with that. How the Lord Dealed with that, dealt with that himself because you remember he was human and had to deal with those sorts of things. But how David, Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather dealt with that. That's where we find our hope because of the way these Psalms work. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the Psalms and how psalms work, how they're supposed to, to work in our, our worship, how they're supposed to work inside. And hopefully out of that, it will help you as you read the psalms and as we preach on the psalms over the next little while. All right? So why don't we pray together and ask God to be our teacher. Father, um, we are prone to worry. Lord, we feel it so prone to wander off the path. But we ask this morning that you will show up and help us to understand this word of yours. Help us to apply it to our hearts and make it part of our walk with you, the DNA of our walk with you. So it's where we go when we're prone to wander and worry and forget. Father, we ask your mercy. We ask you to come and be our teacher. So it's with that that I pray that I might decrease and you might increase so that people can hear your word and not my ramblings. We lift this up to you. And we pray it because we know you hear. And we know you hear because you sent Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray this. Amen? Okay, Psalm 37. Now, there are quite a few verses in Psalm 37. It would probably take us six months to, to, uh, to preach through the whole thing. But we're just going to digest it to the first seven verses. They're sort of the capstone, and uh, 
not an introduction, but almost a summary, and everything else is kind of an application as it flows out in chapter 37. Edwin Starr, now you may not know who that is, but he was a soul singer uh, back in the 60s, and he wrote a song in 1969. Now remember what was going on at the time in the world, but he wrote a song called War, What Is It Good For? That's also the first line of the song, and it asks the question and then answers it with absolutely nothing. Say it again. We could plug into that and say, worry, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again, y'all. Preach it. This Psalm 37 and the various motifs that flow through it show up in other places in Scripture. It shows up in Matthew chapter 6. And here's what the Lord Jesus, see if you hear some of the things that you heard in the first uh, seven verses, you can kind of uh, look at it in your, your bulletin or, or on this and kind of follow it and see if you don't see some of these things popping up in what the Lord Jesus says about worry. Let me just read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Now this is a very famous chapter in Matthew 6. You know what he also teaches there? The Lord's Prayer. So this is like a little commentary on what he teaches you to pray for. So let me read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, a little further on from the Lord's Prayer. I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, or what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They neither snow, sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin thread. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not more beautifully adorned than one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of so little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For that's how the Gentiles seek after their gods. But righteousness, that's what you seek after. On all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There is sufficient difficulty for one day at a time. Now Jesus is preaching something wonderful here in Matthew 6. And he lifts it directly out of the prayer attitude of the Psalms. It preaches 
and responds to the cry of David. It echoes it. Because whether you're 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or living in the, the, the 21st century, your experience is the same in this broken world. In fact, this passage is Jesus' explanation of his instruction earlier in Matthew chapter 6 in verses 9 through 13 when one of his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, right? In fact, you can turn in your uh, worship folder and in, ca in case you, you know, sometimes the Lord's Prayer slips out of your brain if you don't say it every Sunday or like even every day. And on page 10, there it is, all right? So just to kind of remind us of it, kind of give us a framework, what does he say when they say to him, teach us how to pray? He says to them, pray in this manner. Let's say it together. Our Father, who is art in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think sometimes my wife thinks I could worry for Australia in the Olympics if it were a legitimate event, you know. Right now, I can think of 10 things I should worry about. Actually, 11. Now, wait a minute, 12, right? <laughs> uh, my mind just works that way. I capture in like a whole universe of things, and then, then they all kind of condense down to this thick syrup, and worry is usually there somewhere. That's kind of the way it works, isn't it? Here's how David told himself the truth and processed worry. The very thing the Lord Jesus has to instruct us on. The thing that actually kind of gave you the nexus for his prayer. And where we should take ourselves. It was so important and such a God thing that the Lord actually includes it as inspired in the Psalms. The Psalms are a gift to us to help us get you and me through the rough stuff of our lives. Now let me tell you a little bit about the way Psalms work. Uh, a Psalm, uh, which in Hebrew is shir, or a mizmor, that's sort of the title heading of it, uh, is a song that the heart sings. Now, it doesn't have to be, you know, in notes and eighth notes and whole notes and so on and so forth. Like, uh, it doesn't have to have a tune to it, but it's the songs the heart sings. Very simply. From whatever emotional state you're in, it's an honest to God reflection in both senses. Because you can be that way with God. Did you know that? 
or else you have a hard time reading those imprecatory psalms where people are being dashed against stones and so forth. Sometimes that's how you feel. Where are you going to go with that? You're going to crunch it down? You're going to explode. Or are you going to lay it in the lap of God? And then process yourself, process your way through it. These are not just hymns or songs for singing at the temple. Now, you'll read commentaries, and that's likely what, what you'll see. But they're prayers, open mouth reflections, memorial speeches. Not all hymns in the Psalms are sung with a melody, but all prayers and all flights of poetry in the Psalms are the songs, the heart, your heart sings. Even the way the structure of how Hebrew poems kind of work together, I mean, I, I can give you, all, you know, a little rundown on that, and it will all just kind of you know, jumble up in your mind, but there are structures, and they mean those to actually work together. And I've kind of done that on this piece of paper. Here's kind of the structure that's there. Now, the Hebrew peoples, they were so used to this, they just heard it. You know, we're, we're not kind of put together to do it that way. You can be trained to do that way. You know, after a couple of years of it, you just hear it. But here's the way it is, and they kind of match up. These ideas are meant to fit together. And I've kind of given you those just to help you. Maybe you take it away as you, as you uh, study this week. Worry is a natural thing to do because we're born with an inherent sinful nature and that mistrusts God's absolute, sovereign, mysterious plan for us in this broken world. It just happens. I like to call it sin gravity. It kind of pulls you into it. It's hard to escape it, just like gravity. But sin gravity in our lives tends to pull us towards insulation and mistrust of our Heavenly Father. We kind of live like orphans, only trusting our own wit and physical capacity to make our way through life's obstacle course. And when the stuff of life gets impossibly big, too big to solve it on our own, we feel alone in our skin, and what's the only thing that can happen in that mulch of, of stuff? Worry. Worry. Look at this Psalm of David, and how could David possibly say those things? Now, when he says, don't worry yourself, put that in the framework. Now, if you go to read the David story, it's actually the largest connected story in the Bible. Right? About one person, David. And it starts in 1 Samuel 15, runs through the whole book of 1 Samuel, all of 2 Samuel, and up to the second chapter of 1 Kings. That's a lot of material. And in that material, he's constantly running from his enemies. He's being hated by his wife, conspired against by his generals. And his kids are betraying him 
all except for Solomon. Can you imagine a more sucky life? I mean, that's got to be tough going. It's tough to be in charge. It's even tougher to stay in charge. And David was suffering. The first thing I want to note from this and how David handles this is David gives us a recipe for a don't worry sandwich. All right? On your paper here, you'll see the A and the other A. That's like the bread of the sandwich. All right? You look at what he says. Don't worry yourself because of the evildoers or the envious or the wrongdoers. Does that sound like his life? Yeah. Because they will soon fade away like the grass. Do you remember what Jesus talked about? About the grass being so beautiful, yet a day is gone and it gets cast into the oven. They'll wither like the green herb. And then it's little partner down here. So be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Don't worry yourself. That's an important phrase here that David brings up. Don't worry yourself. David is asking you then to look as he puts the meat in the sandwich towards the center. And that's going to be a very important passage. And it's been misconstrued all throughout Christendom. David says, don't worry yourself in those two A's that I have on the paper. It's about trusting him for what we don't know and don't have. Stop living like an orphan. God has to give us access to the truth. I want you to notice that David says, don't worry yourself. Now, it doesn't come up very easily in English because when we say you or refer to the second person, it's the same word, <laughs> whether it's singular or plural. Here, it's in the singular. And that's an important feature about God's word and the way that it works. It's a living word. When God says through David, don't worry yourself, and it's in the second person singular, he's talking to you individually. Not the collection, but you individually. Right now. We're not looking over the shoulder of David. We're sitting right there on his pen as it's being written. Don't worry yourself because of the evildoers. They fade away like the plants in the field on a hot day. And guess who controls the sun? God is talking to you right now. Do you know it's okay to say why to God? It is. Jesus himself is plunged into our place and cries out to God out of that place of advocacy for us personally on the cross. He says, Daddy, why have you forsaken me? 
Now, it's, it's easy to construe that as a shaking your fist at God, but there are two postures to have when you say, why? One is the one we're most familiar with, which sounds disrespectful, and you're shaking your fist. The other one is with open hands. I don't understand. Tell me what's going on. In fact, uh, in the end, when I pronounce the benediction on you, I'm going to want you to take the posture that the Jews did. Do you know the way that they postured? They held their hands out. That is an anticipation of God's blessing coming down and catching it. Do you know they did that? In fact, when they prayed, they didn't close their eyes and bow their head. That didn't start until the 17th century. Do you know what they did? They looked up with their eyes open and they held their hands out in anticipation of God's blessing because that's what God does with his children. He gives them good gifts. David and David's greater son, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Jesus, they prayed this prayer. They were afflicted but not crushed, confused but not despairing. They trusted in God because way before the Lord Jesus taught this prayer and explained it in Matthew chapter 6, David knew God as Father. David knows God as Holy and trusts in his covenant name, Yahweh. Because it means something. It meant something to the Hebrew people. He said, this is my memorial name forever. Remember this name. Because contained in it is all the promise, all the hope, and all the blessing. Because it literally means he shall be. No object, direct object, to that thought. It's an incomplete thought. And you know why? Because he shall be where the direct object should be. It's, it's a blank. That means you fill in the blank. The need is in your life. The worry is in your life. And you can trust in his name because it's a covenant name. And a covenant is an irrevocable promise. No matter how much we break this covenant, he keeps it for us in our place and pays our sin debt on the cross for us. For it is by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. See, even our faith we can't conjure up. He's got to give it to us. Not by works or else you could boast. It's God who does it in and through us for his good pleasure. That's how you can steer away from the worry. Second thing we note here. Trusting God is a step of faith 
towards a trustworthy God. It's in his name. Every time they saw that, and every time you see in your Bibles, we have to do this because we don't want to offend the Jewish people in the third commandment. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Almost all translations in the English do that. That replaces his covenant name, Yahweh. You're supposed to remember it every time you see that. Because it's an irrevocable promise that you can depend on 100% of the time. And we know that because he sent Jesus. A step of faith towards a trustworthy God. He loves us so much, he didn't even spare his own son, his own flesh and blood to rescue us. God's got skin in the game. And then our sections that are B and the other B, they fit together. When you trust God, even if you only capture just the edges of the gospel, God's big story, peace results. When you know it, it doesn't depend on you. When you know you're helpless and you cast yourself upon him, and you know that he's 100% reliable because he made everything, he is both Lord and Savior, peace is there. The Apostle Paul calls it a peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. It's the gospel that makes the difference. Third thing we want to notice is that stepping into God's space and curling up in his lap is where we need to think. Now, I'm using modern language, but that's kind of what David's talking about in this section that's the C and the other C put together. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Odd way of talking. But it just means, you know, the one at your right side is faithfulness instead of being an orphan. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's an important, dwelling in the land is an important idea in the Old Testament. And then the other C, commit your way to the Lord as you're walking. That's what he means by your walk. How you live in his space. We call that the holiness frame. And it's all around you. Can't see it, but wherever God is, there it is holy. It's when he disappears. The Ichabod. That's bad. <laughs> Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite Australian theologians is Graham Goldsworthy. And he talks about the kingdom of God as God's rule over God's people in God's place. God's rule over God's people in God's place. The promised land God took the Israelites to in the Exodus story 
was not all about real estate to be claimed and held on to. It was about a place with God. That's what makes the land holy, is God's presence. If God's not in it, it's not holy. And it's not his. But he's everywhere with us and through us. You can depend on that. The idea of holy land is about a place of his presence, and the presence of Yahweh is a place of shalom, peace. It's a place of Shabbat, rest. The Lord Jesus says, a little bit later on, <laughs> in chapter 11 of Matthew, if anyone is weary and heavily labored, that's the word that's used there. Come to me, and I will give you rest from your labor. Shabbat. Peace. The land is a place that God prepares for us. And there's an even deeper rest he promises rest now, but there's an even deeper rest, an incomprehensible rest. Even if you get the edges of it, you can't get all of it. And he's calling us to that. David's calling us to it, and he may not have even known it. The fourth thing, and here's the buried treasure. The X marks the spot right in the center. Look at this. Here it is. Delight yourself, you, in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many people know that verse? I mean, you know, when I, I was in Sunday school in a liberal church that didn't know Jesus from a hole in the ground, but, you know, but I learned that verse in Sunday school. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, <clears throat> I want to tell you a secret about delighting in the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. We look at verse 4, and we think, many of us, that it's sort of teaching us to name it and claim it. A prosperity sort of gospel. We go into that mode. If we get happy enough to be delightful, then reciprocity says, then God's going to give you something. And what is it? Anything you ask for. That's not what this passage is saying. In fact, it's the furthest thing from what this passage is saying. <clears throat> Read more carefully. It's in the grasping of the gospel that delight in the Lord comes because it's good news. It's the greatest story ever told. And it's the best news ever. That we are broken in our sin, helplessly dead in trespasses and sin, 
we mistrust him. But because of his grace, because of his love, God actually is the author of our desires. It is in that, in the gospel, that we delight. And God actually shapes our desires to fit into his plan for us. Do you hear that? We automatically go to, well, I guess if I just am happy enough, God's going to give me whatever I want. Then name it and claim it. But what it's saying is, is when you get a hold of the promises, when you trust in Yahweh with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, he shapes your desires. You know what we call that? Holiness, righteousness, justice, truth, goodness, faithfulness, and all the fruit of the Spirit. It isn't until we surrender to our Savior through the gospel, God's big story of the Bible, and trust what Jesus did for us without us to save us, paying our sin debt, taking on himself the justice due us for our sin, that we actually get broken of our independence and mistrust, and we start delighting in him. Here, right in the middle of Psalm 37, the first seven verses, you rest in his complete control for your good. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you might get what you need. Amen, Andy? <laughs> I think Bruce also knows that, too. Same thing. So I've dropped some things in prayer meetings. I say, so Bruce knows more than he's letting on <laughs> about popular culture. I want to ask you right now, right there in your seat, and those listening on an MP3, that if you know that you've struggled in the independence from God and from all of your struggles, you just get more anxious, not less anxious. I want to tell you that all you have to do is let your heart sing this Psalm 37 song. God, I've been an orphan and an independent. I've ignored your words of life in the Bible. I've been a rebel from you, and I want to be like King David all curled up in the safety of your lap as your child and secure. I want that place of shalom. I want that place of, of Shabbat with you. Will you surrender? Will you trust? Because he has all the forgiveness in the universe. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's so simple. 
It's crazy we keep missing it. It's crazy we substitute all sorts of performance-driven stuff. Our own desires. It's so simple. Father, teach us the simplicity of it. Help us to curl up in your lap. Help us to delight ourselves in you. We pray this. We lift up our hands to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.